doctors, police officers, teachers, judges. Members of our community, which we're taught to trust from a young age, these are people in influential roles which can impact their lives in multiple ways. But should we trust so much? Should we really believe everything they say? On today's episode of 1 out of 10, we're going to explore the first part of this statement, doctors in the medical industry. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Hope you enjoyed that episode on performance-enhancing drugs and a butt-whooping I gave Ray over here as to why they don't belong. Eddie, I'm going to need you to take a step back real quick. Today, I get one back from you. Do you now? Do yes, you sir. now? And how so? How so? Because today we're going to talk about medical industry and something that I know a lot about, true crime. Is that so? That is not. Those are two. Terms I didn't. I wait, don't, those are two terms I don't want to hear together. The medical industry and true crime, my man. That you got me worried now. All right. So true. what's up? Well, maybe let's let's take a step back now. In your life, have you ever had to spend some time in a hospital other than just uh, you know a common cold or your you know something small? Your head hurts. Did you ever have to spend some time in the hospital? No, no, no. I mean, not me. I've, so I've, I've don't, my only experiences in hospitals have been when I go to, you know, see people, friends or family, whatever, right? Like, I mean, the very first time I had to really do that outside of when my little brother was born was, uh, well, my youngest brother. So my other brother, you know, had some stomach pains. And long story short, one morning we finally, my parents finally decided to take him to the hospital. And it turns out his appendix is about to burst. So, you know... The doctors, the surgery went great, you know, the scar is still there, obviously normal appendectomy, but it was, the, the, I guess the most disturbing part, which is the only thing that kind of left a sour taste in my family's mouth was after the scan, I think it was a CAT scan that they did on my brother, the doctor goes up to him, you know, this eight-year-old kid, he's coming out of this giant machine that I'm sure is a little intimidating, and uh, says, yeah, we uh, need to get you in surgery right now or you're going to die. Wow. Yeah. So. And you can, right? You can die from you. That. Yeah, you can because when your appendix bursts, if you don't treat it right away, then that's all just like in a, you probably you probably get some You're sort toxic. of infection, and, and it's not pretty. But everything else was fine. It was just that that really bad, poor bedside manner. Yeah, and I can't. I don't know if I can blame the doctor so much because these guys see these things on a day to day basis, you know, and maybe they get desensitized to it. And for them, it's more important to save your life than it is how they convey the message to you. Yeah. And, you know, I totally understand it. But obviously, I would hope that even if that is the case, you have an eight year old kid in front of you, you know, your audience and you deliver it a little bit more delicately. But, you know, that's that's really outside of a couple of other visits. That's that's the one that probably sticks out the most to me. You know, knock on wood, I haven't had any reason to have surgery but what about you i know you've had a couple or at least one in the past so what, what, what was your experience like yeah so i have a torn acl uh in my right knee so i did it skateboarding in college um i played soccer for a long time nothing ever happened i decided to skateboard bam a month into it tear my acl uh, and for that there it doesn't regrow the acl you have to have invasive surgery 
Um, and the surgery, so most of everything that was part of the surgery, so the initial appointments to review what's going on with the CAT scan, what's going on with my knee and so forth, went very well. Doctor was super nice. He was really cool. He was a really nice guy. Uh, and he spent a lot of time making sure that I understood the problem, understood what he was going to do via the surgery, and that I really felt comfortable with what was going to happen. So that's fine. So uh, I go, I have surgery, and then afterwards, there's a long rehabilitation process. I think it's almost seven months, eight months of rehab before you can do anything. Yeah, More, yeah. I mean, we hear athletes go through a lot of these, and it's never a short recovery time. So never. clearly, firsthand experience, you know it's not a short Yeah, recovery. never. And especially when you had to get it twice because I tore my ACL again. Um, and no, the second gotta, time, you just got to not skateboard. Uh, well, that was, the second time was playing soccer. Oh. But your body's never the same after you, you go and you cut into it and you start to fix things. It's never going to be the same as it was before. But overall, my experience was awesome. Uh, my doctor was awesome, and I didn't have any problems there. But that's not always the case. Yeah, no, I mean, I know we, we wanted to talk about this because I think it's something that you, that you have heard a lot about, have done a little bit of research, and, and have some good examples, and, and you know. While we would wish it was a good experience for everybody, it, that's not always the case, like you said. And I think the first thing that you said you really, really know about and we want to talk about is a little somebody called Dr. Death. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about that, Ray. Yeah, sure. So Dr. Death. What is Dr. Death? Uh, Dr. Death is a podcast that I listen to. Uh, it's a true crime podcast. I listen to a lot of true crime. It's kind of my guilty pleasure. And uh, the Dr. Death podcast is about Christopher Dunch, uh, who was a doctor who worked in Texas. He was a spinal surgeon. Uh, and the entire podcast, I'm not going to go too in-depth on it because uh, I don't want to spoil anything. But the entire podcast talks about Christopher Dunch and how he became a doctor and some of the malpractice that he performed. Uh, he's overall a really bad dude. Uh, you know, As a doctor, you're trusted by people by default. And he goes into these surgeries and decides to maim people and handicap people to make himself feel to have this like God complex to to put some power over these people, and it's disgusting. So, like, I I know we don't want to give too much away for those people that want to go back and listen to to the podcast, but you know what? Like, how many malpractice cases did he have, or? How did, did people die? Because it sounds like, I mean, Dr. Death, I'm assuming people like died on his operating table or not long after. What, what are those, some of those figures? Yeah, so for what he actually got convicted, uh, he, he's spending his life in prison now. Uh, he was arrested in the Dallas County, and he faced five felony counts of aggravated assault, causing serious bodily injury and one count of injury to a child, elderly, or disabled person. Uh, following his jury trial, he was convicted on a ladder count, and on February 20th, 2017, he was sentenced to life in prison. But he performed a lot of surgeries. I can't remember the exact number, but it was hundreds of surgeries that he performed. And this guy would go into surgeries, and he had this ego, this this complex, where he would have a doctor next to him, and he'd start to perform certain parts of the operation that might not be in line with expectations. And the doctor would tell him, hey, 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 Chris, you might want to calm down here and you take a step back I don't think that's how you're supposed to do it and this dude has such a bad ego that he would tell the other doctors no I've, did, I've been doing this for a long time I know what I'm doing I've done thousands of surgeries I, everyone has come out looking great they're not feeling any pain you don't know what you're talking about and 
in regards to death, I don't know, I can't recall if somebody actually died. I know people got maimed. I know he had a friend that while he was uh, right, I think at the beginning of his doctor career, he had a friend who played football. It was his best friend at the time. And uh, his friend, there's some muscle pain in his neck. And here comes Chris saying, hey, I can help you out. And I can fix that. Let's get. Let's have surgery. Moral of the story is, the guy didn't know what the hell he was doing, and his friend has been handicapped since, or he's been so, paralyzed from so, the neck down wow. since. Wow! And that's so, even potentially to me, if I think about, it, that's even worse than death, because this guy is living in a body now that he can't control. He can't move. He can't move. Yeah, man. that's terrible. I mean, you go from being an athlete, so you know, collegiate you, athlete, you, you're taking you're taking care of your body, you're playing at a pretty elite level, you know. Most collegiate athletes are, you know, at a level where, what, I'm sure, I don't know the percentages, but I mean, I'm sure only a small percentage of athletes are able to compete at the college level yeah. to not being able to do anything for yourself. That, that yeah, like, that probably is worse than death. You're wheelchair bound. So the, and this guy, uh, the real problem behind Dr. Death is that the system that was put in place to regulate malpractice and regulate occurrences like this didn't do its job he's an asshole he's an asshole at the end of the day he's a scumbag Steve he's yeah, a piece well, of shit I mean if if he did this to his best friend I can't imagine what he's gonna do to somebody he doesn't even know he had no remorse for these people like these people would come out and he'd say hey I did my job right your body sucks and as a result you're paralyzed but it's all because of him but going back to what I was saying about the system the system is the governing body that when somebody reports certain malpractice cases they should react to it and they should go after these doctors and put basically put them in doctor jail. Get rid of these people. Take away their licenses. Put them in court and have them reviewed for this. But that wasn't the case with what happened in Dallas. These doctors that worked with Christopher Dunch knew and saw certain things that he was doing that weren't ethical. And they reported these things. But it was the board, the medical board, didn't take the adequate steps to reprehend him and stop him from hurting people. In the medical industry, if you get fired, uh, there's an investigation that the medical board needs to perform to figure out why this doctor right. get fired. I mean, I would, I would hope so. I mean, what? at least that's that's what you're supposed to happen, right? But it sounds like that didn't happen. No, that's the, the complete opposite of what happened. What ended up happening is Christopher Dunch was told, hey, it might be better for you to resign before we fire you. So and then there's no real need for an investigation. There's no need for an investigation. He's and just this guy, like, I have a new job or whatever. And well, the thing is, so he doesn't have a new job, but he can go to any other hospital that he wants to and work. And they're not going to ask questions about why did he get fired in the last hospital. And as well, then Baylor Plano, which was the hospital that he, one of the hospitals that he worked at, wouldn't be under investigation. Because it wouldn't just be that doctor, him. It would be multiple other doctors. Everybody that he's worked right. with well, would the, have to go whole, through the Probably the whole department or I, – I, I think that – I'm sure that's what they call it, like a department. Because, uh, I mean, if he's working on spines, probably neurosurgery or whatever, right? So they'd have to go and look at all the all the doctors in that department and the nurses. Yep. Right? And the and nurses. Because, I mean, let's, let's not forget that they also play a big role in these surgeries. So – Okay, so... Which is true. So the nurses piece, I'm going to talk about a little bit later because I have a couple examples of some pretty evil nurses, um, people that aren't the best of, of us, of humanity. Uh, but to say, to kind of top off on Chris Dunch, 
Um, what I want to explain is this. This guy wasn't just some Joe Schmo off-the-street doctor. This guy forged and faked the number of surgeries that he performed. He faked reviews. He paid people to review him and to give him five-star reviews via video, via written communication, social boards, anywhere. This guy, if you or me needed to have spinal surgery and we were in Texas, Dallas, that area, and we searched up spinal surgeons, he would come up as one of the top-rated surgeons. You know, that's really curious because I was actually reading something when you do your research as far as finding a good surgeon or just a good physician, there was something online that I was reading. I think it was the New York Times or uh, the Telegraph out of the UK mm-hmm. that was talking about how if you see a lot of reviews and a lot of advertisement for, for a doctor, that's actually a negative sign. Hmm. Because typically you see that happen with younger Doctors, younger surgeons, or younger medical professionals, because they want to sort of establish their mm. um, their reputation. Exactly. But but once they're established, if they're well established, then that goes away because their reputation just is going to follow them. Word of mouth happens. Obviously, other doctors are going to refer you to this this person because they know for a fact he does a good job. He takes pride in his, in his profession, and he's responsible, right? So that's really curious to me because it sounds like he was doing everything. That, and you know what? And pro- people probably don't know that if you see a lot of advertisements for, <laughs> for a never. surgeon, that that's probably a red flag that you need to stay clear, look for another option. Which so that's, is, that's super interesting. And I'm glad you bring that point up because that's something very important that our viewers should know. This isn't Amazon, all right? Yeah, you're no, not, going, not at all. You're not going on there looking for the best phone case with a seller with the most reviews. These are medical doctors that can change your life. And I'm so glad you brought that up because right now, if I were to go have knee surgery again, I would probably search up some type of site that compared doctors and I'd look at reviews from other people and see, hey, what kind of sport did you play before and after your surgery and and is it okay? So with that being said, I mean, you brought up the point of referrals. Yeah, yeah, and referrals through other medical professionals and um, you know, people. I, I would imagine you only really want to take a referral like from someone you met in person when it has to do with your body and your well being. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't know that I personally would go and re- search for reviews of doctors online. I've done things where it's like I look for what a what a procedure entails. Like you know, I had hurt my back, so I did a lot of research as mm-hmm. to what it could potentially be. Don't go to Chris. Christopher, yeah. don't go there. Yeah, I'm, well, he's in jail now, legs. so I don't have to worry about it. But but I, I don't think I ever specifically reviewed <laughs> surgeons. I was about to say, hey, I got a man that'll get the job done. No, man. <laughs> I got you on that. No. But, but you know, that's 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 pretty interesting to me that, that he did all of this. And, yeah, I mean, it, it's mis, it misleads people because you have the, the mentality of, let me review him online. Yeah. And, and it's that's, totally opposite. It's totally you, – you have to talk to – other professionals. That's scary, right? That's yeah, scary because you put your trust in these people and you trust random people in these reviews. You don't know who's writing this review. No. It could be him. It could, he could be the doctor himself writing reviews about his work and that he's done. So that's something that we should all be very, very cautious about is taking reviews. We always get a second opinion about anything that's going on with you. Don't fully trust. Honestly, it's hard, <clears throat> excuse me, it's, it's hard to trust fully trust anybody. Right, So when it comes to your body, always get a second opinion. Just because one person tells you, hey, we're going to need to do spinal surgery, 
doesn't mean that you need to do spinal surgery or take any of the medication. And I think that's something that we as people don't know as well is how much power we have when we're in that medical room. When the doctor says, hey, I think this is what's going on with you, ask questions. Don't always just, you know, get scared and say, oh my gosh, you know, I have this, whatever this disease is. Wait a second. Why, why do you think I have this disease? Show me the numbers. Show me the results so that I can, I can understand where this is coming from because I can't fully trust you after listening to these different examples that have happened. And we, okay, so we talked about Chris Dunch. Go check out the podcast. It's called Dr. Death. It's really intriguing, very well developed, and it'll give you another insight into doctors in the medical industry. At uh, least at least the bad ones and what could potentially Well, not, not just the bad ones, too. So the way he got caught was because a good doctor spoke up. A good doctor who worked in surgery with him. The guy was, uh, okay, so this is what happened. They were doing a spinal surgery on a lady, on well, an older well, lady. I'm gonna cut you off. Let, let's not. Let's not. Let's not spoil it. I know you love this podcast, so let's not spoil it. But moral but of the story. Moral of the story right. is, it takes a good person doing the right thing to catch bad people doing the wrong thing. So always remember that, and uh, don't always fully trust the first opinion that you get. Yeah. No. Absolutely. I think that that's a very good message to convey to people. Because as you get older, things are probably more things happen, and, and you you probably start visiting the doctor more often. So you know you, you just want to know that you do have a lot more power. You can always say stop, and, and I you know we know that insurance can be an obstacle where mm. you can go get checked out. But always you know when it has to do with your well being, even if it's going to take more time, and it's going to feel like you know you're going to go through some more headaches. Because of all the extra paperwork or it's out of your way mm-hmm. because the only other provider within your network is forty a 40-minute drive out. But honestly, it's probably worth the extra time just for your peace of mind and your overall health. Yeah. Right? If you have two or maybe even a third person saying that you probably need surgery, well, yeah. guess what? Then you, <laughs> you need you're, surgery. You're going <laughs> to need surgery. But if someone says no, you have three other options like – chiropractor or physical therapy or this that and the other then hey take the other approach. take the other approach or you know weigh, weigh your options but definitely think about what you're going to do and don't feel compelled to listen to your first opinion but sure. you know i know um that 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 seems like a really good summary about dr death but i know we mentioned nurses and you said you have something for us on nurses so that's a little more curious because to me nurses always seem like the more approachable, the, the more nicer, the nicer people. Feel like grandma, and she's there to help oh, you out. And I don't take know about care grandma because you. you know, I'm sure some nurses are offended because there's a lot of young nurses. No, out. I mean like they have that grandma mentality where they're oh. like they're trying to take care of you and they want to make sure you're healthy and you're good. I feel like all the nurses that I've always been with, they're kind of like like my grandmas. Like they're I, a little bit older, maybe that's just me, but they're always so cool and so nice. And I didn't have any problems with them. They'd always say, hey, are you good, honey? It's like the doctor was like the bad guy delivering the bad news. And then the nurses were there to make sure that you kind of took it good and that they try to make it a little bit better for you. Well, yeah, but so that exactly because of that is why I'm a little surprised that you you mentioned that nurses are might not be those sweet little grandmas that, that you, you associate them with. So what's True. going on there, man? What do you got True. for us there? So there are two examples that I wanted to talk about. Uh, one happened in the States and one happened in the UK. Uh, the first one that I'm going to talk about is uh, Beverly Allett. So she was a nurse in the 90s in the UK. And I heard a story about her on another podcast uh, called True Crime Garage. Uh, it's a podcast that talks about different 
uh, true crime occurrences and goes really in depth on the characters that are involved and what happened in their history. So definitely go check that out if you're into true crime as well. Uh, but Beverly Allett, so who is she? She was a nurse in the UK in the 90s. Uh, she worked in the children's department, the children's ward. And I, I can't recall the exact hospital that she worked at, but she had some mental issues. Uh, and mainly in the realm of wanting attention and needing attention. And this this lady went to the lengths of trying to kill her patients and being the first person there to either alert the doctors or bring the patient back to life. So she had a hero complex. So she had this hero complex where she would bring these people back to life and the parents are like, oh my God, you saved my child. Thank you so much. You're, you're an awesome person. And then... After some time, they realized the medical system, they realized it was actually her who was doing this. But before that, these people, this blows my mind. When I think, first of all, when I think there's something going wrong in my house, the first people that I check are the people in my house, right? I check what's going on and who they are and what they're doing. Not in the medical industry, man. The medical board there in the UK, what they thought was happening was that somebody was coming into the hospital and giving these kids medication and causing them to die. Some random stranger off the street. Well, I mean, I guess I guess that is a possibility because, you know, a lot of hospitals, it's hard for me to say this for sure, it seems like the public does have somewhat of an easier access to a hospital. And I can imagine maybe a hospital's understaffed or, you know, there's just a hectic time. Someone could sneak in. But it, that seems a little bit of a, a, stretch, a stretch, right? That, it's a reach. It's a reach by the hospital trying to cover its own ass, to be to be honest here. And uh, so, yeah, they thought it was some random person coming in there trying to kill these kids. And what ended up being her downfall is that they caught – they finally started to review the medical uh, cabinets where they – I guess there's some type of system that they had that they would – They have to check out a certain way. Check out medicine medication. and so forth. And then they started to realize her name was in all – of the logs multiple times and it was medication that was found in the kids' systems and a couple of the kids that died. Wow. Uh, So that being said, man, sometimes you have to really be weary of of these people even if they're doctors or not. Yeah, because like you said, I mean, you never think about a nurse having as much, I guess, as much control of what can happen to you after surgery or you're in there for treatment or they're keeping you overnight because... You know, they're just not sure what's wrong with you, so they want to observe you. And then you have more contact with a nurse than you do with the actual doctors. True. Right? I mean, the doctors and surgeons are probably spending more time attending to that person that they have to be in the OR with. And um, and so you always see the nurses interacting the most. Yeah. Right? So that that's, that's really, really scary. Cause especially because she was targeting kids. I mean, that... 13. 13 life sentences is what she received. Well, good. And she got... I mean, it's, it's, it's bad to say. 13 victims and four of them were deaths of these kids. Mm. And it's just not okay. It's not okay. The no, medical board there should have, first of all, investigated its own people and say, hold up. There's, there have been occurrences of this in the past in other countries, in other hospitals. Let's check our own house first. Now, this uh. isn't the only case, though. There is another case... Uh, in the United States uh, of a guy, of a nurse uh, performing malpractice uh, and his name is Charles Cullen. Now, Charles Cullen 
was in a very similar state as Beverly Allett mentally. Uh, he had some mental illnesses, and just like her, he was targeting victims that were uh, a little bit more vulnerable. So in his case, he was tar- targeting the more elderly because these are people that mm. are already going to, I mean, they're on, they're life expectancy isn't too great there's certain illnesses that they have that are terminal or well the, might and be also, hard to cure it, well maybe not even hard to cure you know just a, a, an elderly person's immune system is no longer what it used to be and so you know their prospects might be a lot more dim versus you or i exactly right now this guy this guy same way so this guy got uh, caught the same way as Beverly Allett, uh, where it was the computer system. They started to realize that there was, I think, that he used potassium. I think he used potassium in most of his um, attacks on people. And as a result, when the medical board there started to investigate the data, they started to see this dude had multiple canceled transactions in the system. So he'd like initiate a, a transfer, the drawer would open. He'd take the medicine, and then he'd cancel it so, and close it. So in the inventory system, it's still there, yes. but it's not because he's shelf. using it. It's, it's not, not on, on the shelf. shelf. Right. It's in the computer it is, but it's not on the shelves. And uh, they started to figure it out after, I think it was 40 crimes, man. 40 victims. This dude was mentally had some issues going on, and it took 40 victims for the system to say, so, wait a second, enough is enough. We need to look into this. So I don't. Do you know if there's like any screening for these people, doctors and nurses alike? Yes. Uh, on mental health, like how often does it happen, or are, do they do them at all, or is it based on like if if this hospital is well funded versus this one isn't? Like, does that? I mean, I, I'm sure there's there's a lot of different factors, but do you know if there's at least an initial mental screening or? Yes. So we have a couple. Friends, mutual friends that are studying to become doctors. Yeah. And as a result, I feel like I'm studying to become a doctor because <laughs> I'm learning all the things or I'm hearing about all the exams that they have to take. And and it's you're right. So we, we talk about uh, mental screening. So from what I've seen, I don't think there is an exact mental screening to say how is your mental health. But right. there are screenings for... Uh, your knowledge, obviously, and then as well as how you communicate. So when we were talking about the bedside manners, there's an actual screening for that as well, where you have to pass an exam before you can become a doctor. You have to. Uh, well, clearly they don't re-administer it to recertify <laughs> I don't think bedside they do. manner. You're right. I don't think they do. I think this is a one-time entry, like getting your driver's license, and then afterwards it's just some maintenance that you're doing. But it's not. You're right. It's not like a, a yearly exam that they have to take. Personally, I think they should. I think well, they should. Well, get... depending on what it is, you know, if it's like bedside manner type of deal, like how you, your personality, maybe not every year, but definitely there needs to be a cadence. Yeah, exactly. Mental health exactly. is a serious, serious issue in today's world, and you can be okay today, and then a year from now, some things have happened, and you're not as mentally stable as you were before. Right. Right. And if you're working on people, if you're in the position where you're supposed to save people's lives, you need to be re- reevaluated. Whether you're a nurse, whether you're a doctor, or what, if you are facing these patients, you need to be reevaluated. No, I totally agree. I mean, I, and you know, a lot of this stuff, I guess we don't necessarily think about on a daily basis, but when you do think about it, to me, I, I feel like it's stuff that you would hope is already happening. But it sounds like it isn't. And, you know, a lot of it might be, well, are we overburdening a lot of these institutions 
Um, are we not giving them enough funding or, oh, or the funding piece? A hundred percent. I don't think is an issue. <laughs> well, no, I gotta say it might be because you know I'm sure based on population it, it might affect the hospitals, right? The hospitals, sure. Right. But then what I'm saying is if they're overburdened or they're uh, the taxes on them or the cost is way too high, why are doctors making seven figures? You see what I'm saying? If the hospital has to pay the doctor seven figures for them to work on it, all right, I might well, want to so, get three doctors for 200K rather than one for eight. So I can see that K. for like uh, like some really, really well-known hospitals, you know, because you've got like uh, St. Jude Children's Research Hospital is huge, right? In cancer research for kids or Duke Medical Center, what, you know, there's a couple other really big hospitals that are probably going to do that. But I mean, there's a bunch of other hospitals that I guess... I don't know where that funding comes from necessarily, and so I don't I don't know the specifics to say that. But I feel like there needs to be an effort to make these things happen. These screenings for people that are always in a position where they could potentially change somebody's life. For I mean, they do these screenings for police officers, right? They do these screenings already for police officers where they have uh, reviews of the police officer's performance, and they'll say, "Wait a second, you're targeting one demographic more than you are another." And as a result, they won't send that police officer in situations where he's going to – they already know how he's going to react. Right. So they okay. do these reviews okay. there and that to me, police officers and doctors are both – if you look at the level of power they have, I feel like they're very high on both, on Absolutely. both sides of the spectrum. You know, interestingly enough, I think we all are familiar with the fact that you know, right now the trust in the – just the, I guess, law enforcement – in the United States isn't very high, but, you know, I was actually looking into a little bit of, of the medical profession as well, and it's something like only 30% of Americans trust the medical system, which I guess is understandable because sometimes the media might portray things a little differently, or, you know, we have doctor death, yeah. and it's just it just takes one bad experience or one bad story to sour people to, to an industry or an institution. Or, or a people. Or Right, or just a group of people. Yeah. But I, this is things. That, these are things that need to be known, though. I feel like... Well, absolutely, they need to be known. It is just interesting because, you know, you said one of the nurses was from the UK, right? The, uh, Beverly? Yes. Beverly, yeah. Um, Beverly. And so I, I hope that maybe things have changed over there because, interestingly enough, I saw a statistic that while Americans, only 30% of Americans trust their, their doctors, in, in, in the UK, it's like north of 90%. Wow. So, you know, whatever they're doing that is... Causing people to trust more their institution, their medical institutions more. I think we should maybe look into that yeah, yeah. because I mean, I would say both of you and I agree that as long as the doctors are doing their job the, the way they're supposed to, and we know that both of you, you'll, both you and I have had not bad experiences where we think they're doing their job, and I've, obviously we have friends that are also studying to be somewhere in that medical profession that it's just overall better, right? Because when there's trust in that medical system, you're more likely to do your yearly checkups, to trust that your doctor is going to give you the right medication. You're probably more likely to take your medication as they prescribe it, which probably means you're going to get you're going to be healthier in the long run. Um, you're going to see a lot less complications, and it's just overall a positive thing. Because I think you know one thing that came up is when there's no trust in, in the medical system. When there's a potential for outbreak, people panic because they don't trust that those institutions are going to take care of them, right? 
And what kind of outbreak are you talking well, about? Well, take, take the Ebola, for example. You know, if there was a big Ebola breakout or some, something of that sort, your, your doctors are going to recommend to do certain things, right? To mm-hmm. take care of yourself so that maybe, you know, you avoid doing certain things so that you don't get sick. Okay. okay. But when there is such little trust in the States, for example, there's a lot of people that are going to do other things. Yeah. That could potentially be worse for them. Right. And all because there's no trust in the system where somewhere like the UK, I would imagine that, you know, 90 something percent of these people trust uh, the medical industry. They're going to do what their doctors are recommending and overall would lead to a healthier nation. Right. Just a healthier people. It depends. I, I really I value the fact that in the States we have the capability of seeing information about almost any topic whether it be good or bad and then you can make your decision for yourself do you want to pursue this avenue or not now with the uk i don't know why the uk's percentage is higher because as i explained this beverly alley case really i mean happened recently in the 90s uh and she was convicted of i mean 13 life sentences that's crazy so I, I think maybe one of the things that's contributing to people not trusting the medical system as much here in the States is, like you mentioned, the, uh, the portrayal of these bad cases in the news, because that's what people see. People see the right. news. I mean, see people, the bad. People love, I mean, media loves to show the bad news. Yeah. We, we never get sunshines no. to, to just make our days better. It's no. always bad news, right? Exactly. And now the second thing that I think also contributes is how expensive the system is, the medical system is. So some people maybe are just, I mean, they don't trust the system because they're like, I have to spend so much money to go to the doctor. You know what? I might not. I don't. I don't trust why I have to spend so much money. Right. Well, and that's. I think that's a totally other issue that maybe at some other point we can talk about. If you know, just do do our homework on it because, um, you know, we're talking about. Uh, I asked our friend about it, and he mentioned that a lot of the costing isn't done by doctors. It's done by business majors working for insurance companies. Insurance companies, big farm, and and they just they they have this stranglehold on how much they can charge for a lot of these services. Obviously, some things you 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 can expect that it's going to cost you money, right? An MRI is not going to be cheap, especially if you don't have solid insurance. But an MRI machine, you can the return on investment on those things outweighs the cost by a lot. I know from my experience in the industrial industries that a machine, yes, there's a lot of engineering time that goes into it and engineering costs, but it's a one-time investment. And you make it your return on an investment, I might buy an MRI machine myself and start giving out MRIs and CAT scans and all that. But it's the system. It's the system that's wrong here. It's not these people because what I want to say is the commonality across all three of the cases that I explained – wasn't so much that these people were bad. Yes, these people were bad and they deserved everything that they got. The problem was that the system that was watching over them and regulating them and protecting us didn't do their job because they didn't want to A, deal with the paperwork, B, get the news coverage, and C, lose their jobs. That's what they didn't want to do. And if if all of those things, if they would have taken care of their contractual agreements, maybe 40 people wouldn't be dead. Maybe 13 kids wouldn't be dead. Yeah. Maybe doctor death wouldn't have happened. Right. Because his first case that ever happened goes directly to the medical board. Medical board says, whoa, done. We're done. 
No surgeries no until surgeries we find out what happened. Because I think the medical board is also comprised of other doctors. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, like, absolutely. Put me, put somebody that doesn't have a stake in the game, put them on the board because they'll be much more inclined to ask the right questions. Doctors might say, oh, okay, yeah, that happens. You know, oh, yeah, I've done that surgery. Oh, yeah, that can happen sometimes. Versus somebody like you or me who doesn't know as much and we're sitting on the board and they say, oh, yeah, there was a lot of internal bleeding. You know, I accidentally cut into this part of the muscle instead of the infected part. And as a result, there was a lot of internal bleeding. And you and I might say, what's going on with you? What you mean? You're cutting the wrong piece. You're a doctor. You're supposed to know what, what you're doing. What caused you to cut the wrong piece? And then, I guess we would ask more questions. Right. We'd ask more common sense questions. When these doctors might just say, okay, I understand. Or they also, wait a second, they also might say, that's that's completely wrong. You're going to get, we're going to have to figure out what's going on here. No more medical surgeries for you until we figure everything out. They might. But in the cases that I explained, they did not. Right. So definitely, there maybe there's a way to introduce better checks and balances to make sure we see less of these cases. Because I can imagine that it's hard to catch them all. I would hope that it isn't. But, you know, people, I mean, two of these people were just mentally ill. So there needs to be, there should be something. All three of these were mentally ill. Well, but but two were for sure proven, right? Uh, The Beverly Allen, she, yeah. I mean, all three of these were... I mean, they weren't declared insane because they wouldn't have been able to go on trial if they were declared insane and they wouldn't have been able to get charged. Mm -hmm. They said that they were mentally sane, but they had mental issues where they had these complex, uh, this feeling that they needed to be God and have this God power hero complex or this hero complex complex where they wanted to be the ones to save people. Right, right, right. No. So, yeah, I mean, I agree that there should be some way of identifying and preventing these people from continuing to do in their profe- in their profession and, and, and have that ne- such a negative impact on so many people. Do you have anything else you want to talk about today? I hope that we've provided some examples that really, really inform people that, yes, there are bad people out there, but also understand that you, you yourself have the power to ask for a second opinion, to go see a different professional. And, you know, it is your body... It is your well-being, so you have that ability. You don't always have to trust the first person you talk to. Uh, you don't always have to undergo surgery right away. Do do what's best for you, because it you know it's your life. You know these you're you know, you're gonna put your your life in their hands. You're trusting them to do what's best for you. So it's always good for you to go through the process, even if it's time-consuming. Um, and feels a little painful at times, but you know it's it's for the best. You know we definitely don't want to convey a message where we're scaring people. Um, You're right. So that I was waiting for you to get to that. I do not want to scare people with this episode. What I want to convey to people is do your due diligence when it comes to certain situations in regards to your body, as you explained, and then. To wrap it up, I would really like to say it takes a good person doing the right thing to stop a bad person from doing the wrong things. Thank you guys for listening to episode 2 of 1 out of 10 would recommend. And stay tuned for episode 3. And please don't forget, rate, review, subscribe, and get excited for episode 3.